The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for discovering Trek listeners. Fansets. Our pins have character. A starship arrives, a crew bands together, and a remarkable reunion we've all been waiting for. Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery has blasted off and is now literally where no Star Trek show has gone before. Last week we saw what happened to Burnham when she arrived 930 years in the future. But what happened when Discovery arrived? Well, let's find out. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome, one and all, to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe companion presented by Fansets. Last week, it was all about Michael's journey, and this week, we finally see what happens when Discovery exited the wormhole. It sure was great to see our friends from the NCC 1031 back in action, but is everyone okay? And more importantly, are they when and where they're supposed to be? As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about Season 3, Episode 2 of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Far From Home. After a visually incredible crash landing on an unknown planet, the crew must try and figure out their next steps while dealing with the stress and emotional impact of leaving everything they knew almost a thousand years in the past. And here to help me break down this week's episode, as always, is the one person that, well, I would take with me on an away mission for first contact anytime. Like Tilly, he's full of life and always looking to make a difference. And also like Tilly, he really never shuts up. He is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Uh, Bill, we didn't have to wait long to see Discovery, but however long it took, it certainly was worth the wait. Wasn't it, buddy? Oh, man, you're absolutely right. And I have to say, just like Tilly, I'm crying a little right now, especially on the inside. (laughs) There Uh, you go. 100% worth the wait. It's been a long 18 months to see this crew, and uh, I can't wait to start the discussion on Far From Home. But first... This certainly was worth the wait as well. We're excited to reintroduce our second permanent co-host here on the podcast who will rotate duties every week or every other week along with Sarah. Uh, You've recently heard him on our coverage of Star Trek Lower Decks, and he's back for us with Discovery every other week. He's a longtime producer on the Trek Geeks Network, and he's also a producer on the legendary fan film Yorktown, A Time to Heal, starring George Takei. More about that in just a moment. We welcome back Casey Shafsky to our coverage of Star Trek Discovery. And Casey, it's good to have you here, buddy. Hey, howdy, partners. It's good to be back here. I'm here. I'm your huckleberry for this here podcast. And as my great-grandpappy used to say, yippee-ki-yay, mother fudger. Wow. Wow. Hey, I okay, censored so, myself so you didn't have to work hard. So basically what's happening, Bill, is you're going to be emailing Sarah to let her know that she will be on every week. Pretty much. Um, starting next week, yes. <laughs> okay, well, it was fun. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Peace out. <laughs> it's it's great to have you back in all seriousness, Casey. We had a great time on Lower Decks. We're really looking forward to uh, the discussions that we will have for Season 3 of Discovery. And already, just two weeks in, there's so much cool things to talk about. So we're going to get right into it. Um, a lot happened this week, but Bill, um, we always want to hear from our listeners about their thoughts. So uh, how can they get in touch with us for their thoughts on Far From Home? 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, while Discovery may be far from home, we know that most of you are decidedly not. And we'd love to hear from you. On Twitter and Facebook, all you have to do is search for Discovering Trek. It's that easy. We welcome your questions, comments, and all that. So let us know what you thought of this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. You can also leave us a voicemail by visiting our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button. Please remember, though, that any comments you leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thanks, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers, so if you haven't watched Episode 2 of Star Trek Discovery Season 3, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery, watch the latest episode, then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Far From Home. Episode 302 of Star Trek Discovery, Far From Home, is written by Michelle Paradise and Jenny Lumet and Alex Kurtzman, and directed by Olatunde Ausensanmi. After the USS Discovery crash lands on a strange planet, the crew finds themselves racing against time to repair their ship. Meanwhile, Saru and Tilly embark on a perilous first contact mission in the hopes of finding Burnham. Special note, this is the fourth episode in a row from this creative team, starting with the two-part finale for season two. Trainees, to the briefing room. So guys, here we are in the briefing room, as we like to do every week. We're going to start our discussion off with a very quick, high-level uh, thumbs up or thumbs down for this episode. And Casey, as our returning special uh, host uh, for the season, let's start with you. Um, I definitely give it two thumbs up. Not not fully super Fonzie over my head, but a definite two thumbs up. I enjoyed it. It's a Western. It is a Western. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on. Bill, what about you, man? Uh, thumbs up, although not enthusiastically. Uh, not like last week, anyway. It was a decent episode, but it didn't bowl me over by any means. I thought there was some fantastic character development and progression in the arc, but ultimately I wanted more. Okay, I think we're going to all be in um, agreement. I'm also going to give it a thumbs up, but not nearly as much as last week. While I loved seeing the return of the Discovery and the crew, the episode was a little predictable for me and had... I, I think I liked the Old West atmosphere, but I think it was a little bit too much. And we'll get more into that as the uh, as the episode here progresses. So lots of things happening. The first thing I want to talk about uh, today with, uh, with uh, this episode two was the arrival of Discovery and the amazing crash landing sequence right from the moment that the, uh, the ship exited the wormhole. Fantastic angles, fan- fantastic special effects, and dare I say, the best crash landing we have ever seen in Star Trek history, Bill? Uh, hands down. Um, uh, they seem like they've gotten better each time. Um, you know, uh, which is really kind of an odd compliment to pay, but my hat's off to the visual effects team for discovery because they made this look, uh, incredibly realistic. It's one thing to watch Star Trek Voyager's timeless now, um, because it's not HD and there are obvious limitations to the CGI they did for that. The Star Trek generations crash landing is pretty good, although it's a practical model that they you know, we're dragging behind a pickup truck. This one kept me right in the episode, and I thought it was just, it was simply just gorgeous. Casey, right after they exit out the wormhole, and you see that planet with chunks of the planet yeah. in orbit of itself, and and 
pieces of it are just bouncing off Discovery, and then they go right through a super chunk, <laughs> um, all the way through the barrel roll, which I thought was really great. And you actually get the sense of the roll with the way that they use the camera angles and the view screen, uh, all the way up to uh, firing phasers to soften their landing. It was just unlike anything I, I, I would have expected. Now, we saw parts of this in the trailer, but seeing the whole thing from start to finish was just was just magnificent. Oh, absolutely. I think that they they gave it a sense of realism. And, you know, when things are crashing into your hull of your ship, that it's not just a little shake, a little vibration. It's like, the, you know, this can be doing serious damage immediately. And they don't have systems. You know, systems are offline, barely working, having to reboot, restart all of this. And it's like this, this felt like a real crash landing. This kind of felt like if you're on a plane somewhere and the pilot comes on and says, you know, all right, <laughs> tuck, tuck your head, brace for impact. And yeah. especially when the two characters, they're all brace, brace. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah, Bill? You know, it's interesting. When we talked to Jonathan Frakes this past summer for Trek Geeks, he talked about kind of how directors on Discovery are encouraged to just go for it. And he talked, he called out Olatunde Yosunsami specifically and said some of the, the angles and the shots that he comes up with are just, are incredible. And this episode was, was, not, <laughs> was not a disappointment in that sense. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Now, one of the things that I wanted to bring up right away, because I'm hoping you guys can bring me on board for this, because I'm a little not on board, at least right now, and that's the whole idea of parasitic ice. It just didn't, st- it actually was one of the reasons why I wasn't super enthusiastic about this episode. It sounded like a convenient thing, and maybe I'm wrong, but it just, it just, it. <laughs> It just says it didn't make sense to me, Bill. What do you think? Am I am I completely off base here? Um, I, I don't think you're off base, but uh, I mean, we've had plenty of parasitic things in Star Trek before. Uh, but plants, ice. anybody? Um, <laughs> cotton candy. Well, remember that uh, Vox Sola, I think it was in, uh, in Star Trek Enterprise. But I mean, anyone who has read Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle has already heard of Ice Nine, which is essentially parasitic ice. So, I mean, this is not, it's not an unheard of thing. It's not that much of a stretch. Plus, uh, here we are putting the strange in strange new worlds. Um, Mm -hmm. Is it a plot device? Is it an easy plot device? Sure. Um, But that doesn't mean it's it's impossible or impractical or uh, something that's not going to occur in sci-fi because really a version of it has and probably has many times. You're helping me come around. What about you, Casey? Who side you on with this? Well, you know, I mean, parasitic ice. We've all had the ice machine at the Rio, so we've, we've <laughs> dealt with that. It's um, a different kind of parasite. <laughs> exactly. Yeesh. Um, I, I kind of equated it to being, what, what, is, what is the scare going to be in the dark? Um, what, is, what is the threat going to be? And if, you know, if we're going with the Old West thing, it's like, you know, there's not coyotes out there. There aren't bobcats, there aren't whatever. So what is the threat going to be? Otherwise, they could just sit there for a long time and and no no consequences so i mean i kind of thought well it, it's different it's kind of unique um i don't know it it felt like a threat but it's like why wouldn't they just heat up the hull you know it's like it's ice just just melt it so man i'm i'm trying to give the writers uh hey there you go but 
I, I kind of think I'm with you, Dan. I just mm, didn't buy it. No, it, it didn't kill the. It didn't completely kill the episode for me, and I thought it was just ridiculous. But it just was something that made me scratch my head a little bit. Bill, I will give you credit. You've kind of made me see the light a little bit. I did like the rocking back and forth effect, like when you're stuck in the snow in New yeah. England. Yeah, uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so, so I will. I'll, I'll be a little bit nicer about parasitic ice in the future, I guess I can say. <laughs> I mean, it does seem like a convenience, right? Because the ship had to yeah, be facing some kind of thought. threat. Um, yeah. I, you know, in Lost in Space season one on Netflix, the ice wasn't really parasitic, but it definitely was a, um, uh, a peril, let's put it that way. Okay. I, I think that this was, uh, I think it was different enough and strange enough where it could have been a thing in Star Trek. Sure, why not? Sure. I think the, I think the way that you put it being a strange new world is what really brought me on board. I like that. Very well done. Yeah. Congratulations. You get the gold star for us this week. Nice. Um, another thing that I want to bring up and we can discuss, because we actually talked about this before we started recording, was that this week's episode really had a Western vibe to it. You had the saloon, and you had um, the mustache-twirling villain of the week shows up in, uh, mm. in Zara, played by Jake Weber. Now, for me... And I'd be very interested to see what you guys think and our listeners. So, so certainly let us know by getting in contact with us. As soon as he transported in, which I got to say before I start, that's pretty cool. Those personal transporters and transporting right to the entrance is, is pretty awesome. As soon as he walked in, all I could think of was Negan from Walking Dead. The gun he was had made me think of Lucille. The way that his swagger and his wisecracks, I was immediately thinking... Negan. However, as the episode progressed, I was thinking, if this is Negan, this is Negan without a backbone because he's really not doing anything to really scare many people. So, Casey, let's start with you. What, uh, what did you think about him all in all, and am I off base with my Walking Dead vibe? Um, I, I didn't get the same Negan vibe that, that you did, uh, but I definitely got that this seemed like villain light for for this week. Um and if, if this is the the big bad to the mining colony, um, it, he like he looked like a swift wind would just knock him down, and I was like, where where is where is the threat of this guy? It's like okay, you know, he killed Cal, poor Cal, poor Cal. But it was like beyond that, I didn't I didn't feel the threat now. So I don't know if this was how it was written, directed. Uh, performed any of that, but I was like, you know, uh, this guy might be kind of fun to hang out with. He might be kind of jerky, but what what is it that is really making him so awful that everybody here fears him? And I was, you know, like there there could be more to him. That's what really took his character out for me a little bit because everybody was acting like he was Lord Vader. But when he showed up, he really wasn't that menacing as everyone was making him out. See, of course, he's quick with the trigger, as we saw, and poor Cal, you know, suffered from that. But Bill, what do you think, man, about the whole uh, mustache twirling villain this week? I, I get the sense that he was supposed to be sadistic, but I don't think he lived up to that in any way. Um, the only thing this villain did for me was it, it told me that mullets are back alive and well in the 32nd century. <laughs> yes. And I really could have done without that. Um, oh. he was, he, he was a villain of the week. I didn't get a sense that he was, um, the big bad. If he was supposed to be, I, I don't think it was executed well. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, um, it's like you said, uh, 
okay, so he was quick on the trigger. That was really about all he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a thesaurus, like George O said. And yeah. that really was it. Um, without his muscle, he was he was nothing, like a lot of villains are. But I felt like uh, I felt like the Western thing was a little bonk bonk on the head this week, especially when you heard spur sounds Spurs. as he was walking in. Yes, yep. Uh, and it really struck me like an episode of Gunsmoke, where everybody's trapped in in Miss Kitty's saloon. Uh, mm. it, eh, eh, there were some great things that happened during those moments and those scenes. We learned a lot, but ultimately, I don't think it was enough to carry that part of the episode. I agree with you. That's one of the things I was going to bring up, and we're already talking about it now, and that's the whole Western in space. We've seen this a lot. Uh, we've seen it not only in Star Trek, but in other shows. Casey, I thought it was, like Bill said, there were some very important points to the whole part that was going on in the bar, but it was bonk, bonk on the head. It was something that we've seen a lot, and they tried, to, in my mind, I think it was kind of forced a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, I think there was a bit much. You could have you could have pulled back on certain things. I mean, the, the spurs right away, not not necessary at all. Um, the this mining town colony bar could have could have been something different. Um, and I mean, if he's a courier and going going all over the place, I kept kind of thinking to myself, if you're getting things from these miners <laughs> that's making you money, why would you kill them? Because now you're you're getting less product, less profit going on there. Now, I don't know if that has, I mean, kind of like going, is this supposed to be like they're mining gold and this is the, the gold baron, you know, with the fancy house up on the hill that's telling everybody what the hell to do and you better do it because it's my town. I, you know, brought it in. Um, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I do love a saloon, though. <laughs> in, in anything it's just you know wood wood stuff everywhere and especially wood type things and and you know harsh metals going on and stuff like that in an episode can can swim me either way but um you gotta sell it if you're gonna yeah. do it fully do it or you know decide really delicately what western vibes you're gonna bring in well and this is why i mean Space Westerns typically don't fare so well. I, granted, yes, Gene Roddenberry pitched Star Trek as Wagon Train to the stars, to network execs. But let's be honest, it's nothing like Wagon Train. It's not really like a Western. Um, mm-hmm. And other Space Westerns have, have not done so well uh, for good reason. That's because when people want to see a Western, they're just going to watch a Western. Mm-hmm. Um, the good aspects of this Western setting were what it brought out in Saru and Tilly. And the things yeah. we learned um, yep. about the 32nd century in the here and now. The villain really was was nothing to me. Um, he, he seemed like a low-level mob enforcer more than he did a Negan type. Um, which, you know, it, all, it, it, it was a story that would have worked for me better if he was like part of a protection racket, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, instead yeah. of the western okay. frontier town. But um, I, I thought this episode was uh, the aspects of those scenes were better for for what Saru brought to the table. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Let's head back over to Discovery for a minute because um, I want to talk about a couple of things that took place on Discovery that I thought were interesting, and I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on what the heck is up with Detmer. Um, obviously, something's going on. I feel that, or I have a feeling that they're going to drag this out a bit before we know what's actually wrong. 
but I don't mean dragging it out a bit is going to be in a bad way. I'm kind of, it's like one of those things where you're looking forward to seeing what's happening next because you really want to see what's happening with this. Obviously, it's not just a concussion. It's not just shock from, from being shot into the future. Something's going on with her. And, uh, and Bill, I think it's going to be very interesting to see it, what happens. I, I will say this right up front. I don't want it to be another Arium type story with how we had in season two last year. I don't if it think, is, I'm going to be very disappointed. I don't think it will be. I think that Detmer is suffering from post-traumatic stress, honestly. Yeah. Okay. To me, she's exhibiting signs that just scream post-traumatic stress. This crew has been through a lot, and mm-hmm. Detmer literally just saved their asses yep. by the way she crash-landed that ship. That was all mm-hmm. on her. Everybody on board Discovery was relying on her superior piloting skills to keep them alive. And that's a lot to put on a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, they've jumped through time, they've saved humanity, and now she's mm-hmm. crashed landed the ship and saved everybody on board. Um, that's a lot to process. And yeah. at the end of the day, these people are human. I'm glad that, you know, if this is indeed what it is, and I do think it is, I'm glad that we're seeing this piece of it because it means there's a lot that's going to bubble up to the surface. And I, it's going to have to in order for her to get past it. I do agree with that. The reason I was concerned about the whole story with last season is because they seem to concentrate at least once, if not a couple of times, on her cybernetic implant on the side of her head when she was having issues. And I was thinking to myself, okay, we're going to have some kind of malfunction here and this is going to be the problem. If that's not the case, I'll be very happy. I, I, as, as kind of bad as it sounds i hope it's what you're talking about bill right casey right. what do you what do you think you uh you think oh same? yeah i think it's the, the ptsd because think about everything that these people have been through in a in a short amount of time and it's it's not only you know the physical part where she gets you know butt over tea kettle smacks down on onto the floor but everything mentally going on the pressure the constant pressure of every single person going on in this crew. And I think it's important um, narrative-wise for us to see this because a lot of the other people, it's like, okay, hey, we're in the future now. Okay, we'll, we'll just start working. It's like everything you had and you loved is dead, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. gone. I mean, 930 years later, it's like, you know, you might have long, 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 long distant relatives, but, but that's it. And you're going into something completely blind, and I would think that everyone would be incredibly stressed out about this. And um, I'm wondering if if her character is going to be the character that shows us outwardly what everyone else might be feeling inside to different degrees. Um, And, you know, (sighs) bridge crew has it tough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll be very interested to see what it is, um, and I guess we'll find out hopefully in the next few episodes. But if it's dragged out, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Other thing about Discovery, I wanted to make a very quick point on, and I wanted to get your opinions, guys. Ka- Casey, I'll start with you. I almost called you Cassie, like I used to do on uh, Lower Decks. <laughs> um, Stamets and Culber, great to yeah. see them again. Oh, um, yeah. The 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 scenes with with Stamets and and uh, Tignataro are, of course, again, the back and forth is it's great. But did you feel that that B story was shoehorned in? Because I, I really felt like it, it was for me. Because I, I think there's so much mm. that could be with this set of characters, mm-hmm. and it was just the, the filler. And I wish it was more than that. What do you think, Casey? I gotcha. Um, I, I didn't treat it as filler, I just found it odd 
that they were using Stamets at that point when it could have been, you know, Jet and another character. It could have mm-hmm. been Jet and any other character. And it was just, I was kind of going, wow, okay, so this could be what you were saying of shoehorning it in. Um, but it, you know, they had such a familial sibling, I'm going to give you a ton of crap while I'm supporting you yeah. type of vibe, which for me kind of made up for it. But I kept going, you know, how many cycles did he go through that one full cycle to kind of get himself, you know, in sickbay okay enough that then he jumped out, got into his uniform and his cruising around. It's like everyone would look at him and go, no, you're, yeah. you are not helping us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that could have been a different set of characters pretty, pretty easily. Right. Bill? Uh, I have to agree with Casey. Uh, although I do think th- that the the Reno aspect was toned down a little bit for this episode, and I appreciated that. I agree. I thought that the back and forth between Stamets and Reno was actually really good this episode. I get it. Stamets is a proud guy. He's a guy who wants to contribute. He's a guy that, that knows that he can do these things. And although Nilsson could have climbed up there to do that thing, he, he, he probably kind of wanted to be the guy to do it. Um, because he was there and he could do it. So I, I, I can relate to that. I am surprised that, that Culber actually let him out of sickbay. Yeah. Um, that's I the mean, only was, thing that surprises me. He did he let so, him or did he just go? Well, that's the question. Well, that I don't think be, we know. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Um, I was going to say, because he was very, he was very like, you have to stay in here for this full cycle or else you're going to be in big trouble. And then all of a sudden he was in engineering. So yeah, I think maybe he snuck out. Well, he, it, I, I can believe that too. Um, kind of knowing who Stamets is. Ultimately, I enjoyed those scenes and that hasn't always been the case between those two characters because I think they were far too adversarial. Casey, you hit the, the nail right on the head when you said this, uh, this episode there was more of a sibling vibe where they kind of mm-hmm. give each other a lot of grief but then are there to help and support. Um, I thought that dynamic worked really well in this episode. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Anything else, Bill? Do you want to throw in anything else for discussion points that we have this week, Casey? I, I got one. Programmable matter. Oh, um, yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> good stuff, but I'm worried about this because I'm worried it be- could become a MacGuffin. Yeah. Convenience. It could be far too convenient to say, oh, let's just right. throw some programmable matter at this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that they are very judicious with how that is employed. This week, it worked 100%. I thought it was awesome. Um, we'll see. Um, it's going to be a long season or a long season discovery wise. Um, I'm hoping that they don't go too overboard with that because it could become its own trope. Yeah. I, I would hope on that also that if they use it, that there's a, there's a couple times where it doesn't work, where their technology is so old that, I mean, do, do we have p- plans and patterns of stuff that was made 900 years ago? How, how the hell would we know what to do? So, yeah, boy, that can get really tricky really fast. It's like, hey, physical techno babble. Although imagine what that could do for upgrading the Discovery later on. Oh, yes. Because took one of my, yeah. the <laughs> ship is a millennium old now. Um, it's, 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 to call it an antique is almost a disservice to antiques. Um, they're not going to scuttle the ship. So they got to update it somehow. I could see programmable matter being very key to that process. Mm. There's still a good chance that they're the only starship that has a spore drive. Uh, could be. Maybe they yeah. get to replicate that for the other ships. Guess we'll find out. Ooh. 
Well, once again, folks, we have reached that moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those that we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber and reflective part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those that have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Dead, Jim. So, Bill, Red Shirt Roll Call is always one of the fan favorites. It's one of my favorites. Dead people. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, it's morbid. So, so, it is morbid. Hey, if anything's better than that decon chamber, right? Oh, I'm glad you de- decommissioned the decon chamber. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Bill, uh, what do we have this week, buddy? Dan, this week we have a few notable departures from the future. First up, there is confirmation that the Leland Bot 3000, otherwise known as Section 31's Leland, is really dead. Uh, Dan, I think you've got some Leland on your shoes there. Uh, better call Gene to mop that up. <laughs> Ensign Hazmat, <laughs> report <laughs> report to the reaction cube. Uh, there's also Cal the Corridan, who was just unceremoniously terminated in vicious fashion by Zara. That one just really hurt this week, because you were starting to really like and invest in that character, and he was essentially tortured to mm-hmm. death. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also had five of Zara's henchmen, including Mr. Red Eyes, Red Eyes. all taken out by Philippa Georgiou. Now, these dudes didn't even see it coming, even though Giorgio told him it was. But this week, <laughs> right. we honor them and their stupidity anyway, Dan. Well, we raise a glass of Synthahol as we say goodbye to everyone we lost in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. Folks, we want to take a moment to thank Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. As we all deal with the continued effects of the coronavirus pandemic, we know that small business is an essential part of a recovering economy, and we are proud to support one of the best small businesses in the whole damn galaxy, and that's Fansets. Whether it's Star Trek, Scooby-Doo, Batman 66, or a whole ton of other franchises, Fansets has always put out superior products, and with new pins coming out each and every month, you're sure to have an ever-expanding collection of great collectible pins. Oh, without a doubt, and November is certainly no different. You know, you may recall that last year at Star Trek Las Vegas, Fansets released their beautiful Women of Trek collection, but they didn't just keep it at that one release. Oh no, over the course of the last year, they have continued to release additional pins for this collection. And on November 1st, the latest pin for Women of Trek will be available, and it is a beauty. It's the one and only Sylvia Tilly, who played such an important part in this week's episode. This newest pin is just gorgeous, and I can't wait to add it to my own collection. And speaking of collector sets, don't forget that there is still some time left to pre-order your very own Voyager collector set commemorating the 25th anniversary of our favorite crew stranded in the Delta Quadrant. 11 pins, a backer board, and a black frame, all for the lowest price ever for a Fansets collection, set at just $180. I can't wait to get that one, guys. I actually have the spot on my wall over here. You can't see it as I'm pointing to behind my uh, camera. But yeah, um, I've got that spot ready. Um, and Bill, did, did you know that you can now display your favorite Fansets pin right on your face? Um, face. Here's hoping that you doesn't got hurt. that right. 
Yeah, you got a your face mention here on Discovering Trek. Available for a limited time at fansets.com is the official Fansets face mask. What's so great about this mask is that in addition to that familiar Fansets logo we all love, the mask features a pocket between the double layer face cover that lets you show off your favorite pin without the pinbacks rubbing up against your skin. It's an awesome idea so that we can proudly display our favorite pins during these crazy and uncertain times. And of course, with our special relationship with Fansets, you get to save money each and every week with our special Discovering Trek discount code. Just head on over to Fansets.com and place a whole bunch of stuff in your cart. And then at checkout, enter the special discount code Discovering Trek. That's Discovering Trek in all capital letters with no spaces. And that's going to get you 15% off your entire order. And don't forget that our U.S. customers will get free shipping if you spend $30 or more. Fansets, our pins have character, and we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And guys, I'm going to start off by saying I I have a question. What's the first thing you would do when you're thrust into an impossibly dangerous and unknown situation? I mean, most of us would be terrified. We'd want to hide. We'd want to stay safe and be sure that nothing would happen to us or the people we care about. It's a, it's a totally normal reaction and one that shouldn't be talked down or frowned upon in any way, in any way. And, and we saw that in Tilly this week. She was terrified. She was unsure. But she's also Starfleet. She knows what needs to be done to help her crew. And, and with the help of a non-human, she's able to push aside that fear and do what's right. And I just love that Disco shows us that every week the very core of our humanity. Whether it's finding courage to continue on in a scary situation, or whether it's the compassion, understanding, or leadership in a character like Saru, who continues to just amaze me every single scene he's in. Discovery is, at its core, a story about humanity, and it does a beautiful job every week in showing us that message, and this week was no exception, Bill. Absolutely. You know, episode after episode, Discovery is putting the ideals of Star Trek on display for everyone to see. And this week is absolutely no exception. After Giorgio takes out about five of Zara's henchmen, she sets her sights on Zara himself, only to be stopped by acting Captain Saru. She wants to kill Zara, and Saru tells her that is not what we do. Saru holds her and himself to a higher standard. They may be in parts and times unknown, but Saru holds fast to the ideals that Starfleet, repre- that Starfleet represents, and it sends a clear message. And couldn't we use a whole lot of that today, Casey? Oh, most definitely. You know, I think when we keep watching these episodes for this series, and in this one, I keep thinking about the oppressed and the oppressors, and uh, the courage of people who venture out into the wilderness to create a new life for themselves. So whether it's a long time ago in Westerns, or if it's now where everybody, where we're creating our new futures, because things are just crazy in this world. And boy, did, did Daddy Saru come out 
in full force here and was just solid and level and completely aware of what's going on and poised and was just there for each person and how they needed some type of a, a gentle push or a care or, you know, like when he puts his hand on the, Tilly's shoulder of just being there and going, well, how, how could we be like that with everyone around us and who we're dealing with so that since we don't know what everyone's going through each day, but all of us are dealing with something that how can we help to improve each other's lives just a tiny bit and instead of making it harder. And boy, this week, man, that came through of, of just the wilderness that is our lives. Commendation, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Well, people, it's time for some awards. Bill's already gotten a gold star this week, but we always have awards to give out in our Starfleet commendation section. So, uh, Casey, let's start with you, man. Um, there were all kinds of good things to point out in this episode, but what do you have specifically? I, I got to say, um, the writing on this one was was amazing. We had a, a very strong story where I didn't miss the characters who weren't in this episode, just like in... Week one, I didn't miss the characters that we did have in that episode. Um, that that takes good writing <laughs> to be able to do that where you're not going, oh, where is blank? Um, also, diving into that and all together is this, this was the wagon train to the stars, but the wagon train is each individual character and their internal journey. So each one of them is their own wagon go, moving along in, in this journey of life. Uh, I also have to give out some kudos to uh, the editing department. At the very beginning, uh, bridge scenes with Saru, there was a little bit on his left eye where I could see where the prosthetic and the makeup and everything wasn't quite blending. And I, I saw how they were editing it and going away from making that so obvious. And also that everything was kind of, you know, frantic. And moving along really well. And I said, you know, the editors here get it where they're not only doing it for the story, but helping out, which, you know, maybe was a, a hard or a rough makeup prosthetic day. And whew, man, just everybody, good, good A game. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I got to say, I, I, we already talked about this a little bit. I got to give the special effects team a, a commendation. Like I said before, this is the best crash landing sequence we've ever seen in Star Trek, all the way from exiting the wormhole uh, until the crash in the ice. It was an amazing feast for our eyes. Uh, so we've given the special effects team commendations all through the first two seasons, and they certainly have not disappointed so far in season three. Uh, my next commendation goes to Mary Wiseman. You know, can Tilly be annoying from time to time? Yeah. Does she talk too much? Yep. Uh, but you know what? I wouldn't change a thing because she is so much what so many of us are. And Mary was magnificent in this episode, showing us the conflict and the fear that Tilly's facing. Her dialogue in every scene was so Tilly when she almost dropped the F-bomb on Georgiou. That was fantastic. <laughs> she was able to stop herself. Um, and... Whereas sometimes I used to feel that she was a little over the top, this week it was perfect, and it was all due to Mary's performance. So congratulations to her. And my final and biggest commendation, again, on Discovering Trek, is Doug freaking Jones. 
everyone knows how much we love Saru here on Discovering Trek. Now that he no longer is driven by fear, we see the amazing potential in Saru that has come to life. He's a true leader, uh, and he's able to balance compassion and command. And that's all because of the unbelievable job that Doug John Doug Jones does underneath all of that latex. Latex. He's able to act when you can't see anything but his eyes and you know exactly what he's trying to get through during those scenes. He's amazing, and I just love him to death, Bill. Uh, without question. Uh, I'm going to go crazy Ivan on you guys and give you one that's not on the board. And that's uh, <laughs> my first combination this week goes to Emily Coots as Detmer. Uh, she really had some great scenes this week. It's clear that Detmer is going through something. And after Detmer got to be the biggest badass on the ship and, and land that thing and keep everybody safe... She now is going on to experience something that has yet to be revealed. So it was an amazing job by Emily. Uh, second up, Doug Jones. I'm going to second your, uh, your motion there. It is so good to see Saru again. It's been far too long, and I have missed this character tremendously. I can't wait to see where the season takes him. Uh, third, I got to say, um, I got to hand it to Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman. This team has been responsible for writing the last four episodes of Discovery, including this one. And the first two episodes of season three are a great recovery from a season finale I thought was very weak. And then lastly, my last com- commendation goes out to Olatunde Osunsanmi. He directed the two-part finale last year and the first two episodes of this season, and they have all had an amazing look and feel about them. Plus, he just had a birthday this week, so happy birthday, Tunde. Nice. Happy birthday, man. Long range scan of planet complete. Well, um, you know, we're two episodes in. We still got a long way to go. They are a long way from home, a long time from home. So uh, uh, what's next for Discovery? It's always good to get your long range scans. You know, Bill, you talked about it last week. We're about one for a zillion uh, here on Discovering Trek. Um I'm going to start, I want to save yours for last, Bill, because we've talked about this, and and yours is is really interesting. So uh, I'm going to start off real quick with mine. I got two short things. Uh, This one may be a softball, but I think it's it's an easy one to predict, and what we saw today uh, or in this week's episode really makes me believe it. I got two words, Captain Saru. He's got to become the captain gotta. of this crew. He is yeah. he is just so fantastic and and what he does, he he's able to stand down Philippa. He stands his ground. He shoots out his his poison dart things when he needs to and he, he's just he's just <laughs> awesome. So he will become captain of Discovery. That's that's one of my predictions. And the other one, we talked about he how he was kind of a weaker character than maybe he should have been. It's not right to kill anybody, and we talked about how important it was that Saru stopped Giorgio from killing uh, Zara, but I think that was an incredibly big mistake, and I think he's going to be back, and this is going to haunt the crew, and somebody's going to pay with their life. Casey? Yeah, I would agree, because cause how they kind of you know left him, it was a very open-ended, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not exactly sure what was in Tilly's pack that they gave him. But it's like, you know, that, that little personal transporter out of the cantina out in the wilderness that was still kind of a big cavey area. He, he could hunker down and survive. So mm-hmm. that, that felt like almost a, hey, we're going to nonchalantly let this guy go. Please forget about him so that he comes back later. So I, I hear you on that. Um, I'll tell you, 
I, I'm wondering if, if this season is going to become kind of a Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, dilithium mystery type thing. Because for me, <laughs> in all honesty, I don't care that much about it. It, it, it I, I, I'd love for them to even set it up so maybe in a different series or maybe even Picard, we could see something that might happen. And, it, it you know, sometimes it doesn't, not everything has to be a mystery and it doesn't always have to be solved right away. Um, who knows? I do kind of concur with Mr. Red Eyes there that, boy, that programmable matter is going to come in. And I, I think we're going to see a, a refit discovery by end of season. Um, I can really see that going on. And then I, I hope to heck that we see more of the other characters dealing with the time jump after they're all re- reunited, but just of they are far away from everyone they loved, everything that they loved. And what, what does that mean now? And, and how are we going to go through that through the entire um, season? And then what does that build for the future? Because, boy... Op- options are wide open, but they're you know have, have some meaning to this that really affects these characters. Bill, what do you got, man? Well, uh, now I need you guys to stay with me here for a second because I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb. Um, before predictions, we've kind of kept them short and sweet and to the point, but I think this one is I think this one is complex. I have a theory about the burn and why Dilithium destabilized in the future. So let's go back to season two of Discovery. Um, Gabrielle Burnham's Red Angel suit was charged using the energy of a supernova, right? But it wasn't possible with the suit created for Michael Burnham. The Discovery crew didn't have that kind of time to locate a red giant, let alone one about to go Nova. So they used a modified Dilithium incubator from the planet Zahia to charge the crystal using energy from the spore drive to activate the time crystal. The crystal was charged differently, and maybe the charging in the dilithium incubator played a factor so that when the jump happened, it blew out all the dilithium when Burnham was exiting the wormhole. Now, she obviously didn't land in that time, but her, I guess, deceleration, for want of a better word, may have been the key factor. I think of it kind of like as a sonic boom in space. The energy used to charge the time crystal caused it to resonate differently, and that's what caused all of the dilithium to destabilize, resulting in the burn. Is it a great explanation? No, but I think it could fit. I'm just hoping there's not a reset button at the end of it. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, so, mm-hmm. so if I hear you correctly, Michael Burnham caused the burn. <laughs> well, more, more specifically, <laughs> the, the crystal the, did. The, yeah, the suit. Yeah. Her, her jumping was, was what started it, but it, it's, you know, Discovery kind of caused the burn. Uh, and now they've got to live with the fact, and maybe they get that knowledge. I don't know. Wow. I, I got to say that that's a fantastic scan. That type of techno babble and explanation and science that you pulled into that makes me wonder who are you and what did you do with Bill Smith. <laughs> I had to go <laughs> nice back. Job, man. I had to go back and watch uh, uh, Such Sweet Sorrow Part One and Two a couple of times um to kind of let this uh, play out in my mind. I could see it happening. I mean, something has to explain the burn. Um mm-hmm. and I I at least hope it's I at least hope it's not a poor explanation. 
No, that's yeah. a, that's a great explanation. I like it. Um, uh, and you're right. We we have to find out what the burn was. If we don't get a solid explanation, I think it's going to leave a bad taste in a lot of fans' mouths. So I am I have faith uh, of the heart uh, that um, this will be explained because we know the the level uh, of of intelligence and and love of star trek that the writer's room has so i'm hoping we'll see it plus i, I just like i said i hope there's no reset button because i think they should have yeah. to live with the fact yeah. that this happened mm-hmm. absolutely and it'd be really interesting to, if that's the case it's like what happened to all the starships that all of a sudden can't power themselves and i just kind of go back to boy is is this more weight on burnham's shoulders that that i mean that could be absolutely crushing to an individual well i'm gonna guess it's like book said last week boom you know uh Mm. dilithium doesn't uh, you know doesn't fuel the starships but it's the battery and what happens when the battery in your prius or your iphone explodes it starts a fire um i i don't know that that's what happened but i gotta think that a lot of things went boom Makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, but that sounds pretty awful. Can you imagine if that was the cause? She would have on her shoulders the fact that people think she started the war with the Klingons in season one and was responsible for the death of so many. And then (laughs) she's not really responsible. No, she's not, but people think she is. Yeah. And and she knows that people think she is. Yeah. And being a human being, whether whether you actually did it or not, you go, oh, if I had just not... Yeah. Boy, that that could Interesting. be soul crushing. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, um Casey, you get the week off next week. Um Woo-hoo! fortunately or uh, unfortunately, I will let our listeners be the judge of that, but uh <gasps> what do we have coming up next week, buddy? <laughs> when you're not well, here. Well, it won't be me, but <laughs> next week, finally reunited, Burnham and the USS Discovery crew journey to Earth, eager to learn what happened to the Federation in their absence. It's Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 3, People of Earth. Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. Get access to our unedited recordings of each and every episode on the network, plus other exclusive content and perks like our annual supporters pin from Fansets, which just went out to subscribers this week, and uh, our exclusive Trek Geeks Podcast Network t-shirt, which also went out to subscribers this week, along with so many other perks. We'd like to take a moment to thank the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek, and we are so incredibly thankful for their support. Mike Bovia, Chaz Bradshaw, Ken Bird, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Rachel Delaney, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Jim McMahon, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, some guy named Casey Shafsky, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashon. If you would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for Discovering Trek episodes, Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscription levels start at as little as $1 a month that Sarah the Glue still owes me. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And you know what, Casey, since, you're, since you just were telling everybody about that amazing information, why don't you also tell people where they can find you on Twitter or social media? 
Um, you can find me on Twitter at KC Shafsky. And that's about it for social media, my friend. I do smoke screens, uh, telegraph, and crows <laughs> every other weekend. There you go. And Bill, where can they find you, buddy? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Trek Geek Bill or uh, in our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, uh, for the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Absolutely. And, and I can be found on Camp Kittimer. And uh, my Twitter handle is at Trek Geek Dan. Well, that's going to do it uh, this week. Uh, and our discussion of episode two, Far From Home, a great story about the Discovery and her crew arriving in the future with a setup for an emotional reunion with Commander Burnham, which, guys, we didn't even really talk about, is that we saw Burnham's smiling face on the view screen at the end of the episode. Yeah. That was wonderful. Uh, as always, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe each and every week. Uh, we wouldn't be here without your support, and we thank you so very much. Uh, we look forward to being back next week to discuss people of earth and we hope you'll join us until then here are some words of wisdom from discovery acting captain saru which makes perfect sense for me here on discovering trek i may not have all the answers however i do know that i am surrounded by a team i trust and until next week never stop discovering music for discovering trek is provided by five-year mission they're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. <laughs>